Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of Special Projects at The Block and host of this program. We have a very exciting episode of the show for you today. I'm glad I made it to the studio. I uh, made the voyage sans GPS, given that my AT&T service is currently out as a part of this very big 70,000 person-wide outage. I'm here, I'm safe, and joined <laughs> joined on the other side of the mic by Luke Sturgers. Tried that. I think I think I got close. Uh, Chief Commercial Officer at Derivit. Um, uh, we were in Dubai this past fall, and you're in an interesting category of guests who I've, I think, you know, me and you and, and Yogita, we've been talking for, I mean, at this point, half a decade. It's almost crazy to think about it. At least it feels that way. And we've never had you on the show, which is pretty crazy given the size and scope of of Deribit in the in the market, right? Twenty five billion dollars in open interest on the platform, the largest. Uh, or uh, you can correct me on 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 how you characterize the firm, but one of the largest derivatives exchanges, certainly the largest platform for options trading. So I I don't know. I I, I guess like a huge over oversight on my part, but <laughs> we're glad that we made it happen. Uh, Let's maybe just give a, 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 a little overview of yourself, right? Uh, you came from the traditional financial services world. They plucked you to sort of uh, maybe inject a bit of uh, uh, adulthood and maturity and, and traditional uh, financial services into this um, very well-known brand in the crypto space. Uh, give us a little rundown of your journey, and then we can dive right into what's happening in the options market. Sure, sure. I um, I joined Deribit in 2019, um, and before that, I was based in Singapore for SGX, the Singapore uh, Exchange. I was there for around five years, a little bit less, I guess. And before that, I so I started working in 2004 um, in the uh, capital markets space, so raising funds for companies, uh, listings on Euronext back then. Um, that kind of stuff. I did that for five, six years. And then I joined an options platform as the head of markets, which meant uh, getting people to trade. And we were competing um, versus Euronex, which was the incumbent exchange for uh, stock options and index options. Uh, it was a company owned by, by NASDAQ, uh, Optiver, IMC, etc. So that's when I my, my, my exchange background started. So that was around... Mm -hmm. 2009, I think. So that's like 15 years ago. So in my last 15 years, actually quite it's longer than I expected, but uh, 15 years of exchange stuff. Um, and and this is the, uh, I would say the highlights. So this is, the other stuff is heavily regulated um, and in a very competitive space. And here we are also in a very competitive space and getting more regulated by the day, but in a, Totally different environment versus um, versus those days where you traded five days a week, nine to five, approximately uh, batch jobs, overnight stuff. Uh, versus us and many of the others, of course, where we trade twenty four seven, uh, no dime time at all. Mm -hmm. um, it, yeah, it's a totally different space. You can you can't imagine the the, the operational and, and and decision taking differences between those worlds. SGX has. Back then, I'm not sure exactly sure how many people they have now, but it was like a thousand people. Um, 
yes, these committees, groups, decisions for everything uh, in a very slow-moving environment where we have to decide stuff that might happen today or tomorrow. So it's, um, it's um, uh, I, th- I would say, much more exciting and um, uh, dynamic space uh, than the traditional world. How would you describe the differences between maybe the uh, market structure of crypto options relative to the traditional markets? I'm sure there's some parallels just in the, I mean, if you look at the um, activity in traditional options, it's been booming. Retail is booming. Uh, I don't know if you've seen some of those NVIDIA headlines but there's also just a, a huge growth in options in option selling, right? And the amount of assets in derivative income funds. Um, so there, there is sort of this shared story of of growth. Um, but putting that aside for a second, how are these markets maybe different? And, and then we can get into those similarities. Yeah. So the similarities is the is the the easier part because the the similarities. From our perspective, are we are more like like those traditional exchanges than we are like retail-oriented crypto platforms. So to name a few examples, we're not cloud-based. We have dedicated hardware. Uh, 80% of our business is institutional. So that's people connecting mm-hmm. to our platform with a cable one way or another. So that's cross-connects, mm-hmm. co-locations, AWS integrations. We have a bunch of fancy stuff, but in the end, it boils down to a cable and a server somewhere uh, which uh, is connected to our platform. We have stuff like multicast, which is like the low, the lowest latency data feed imaginable. We have market maker protection. We just launched mass mm-hmm. codes. All of that stuff, and even if it do- doesn't ring a bell, uh, mm-hmm. is stuff that the traditional exchanges have. If you look at the NASDAQ uh, product shelf, they have this. If you look at CME or Eurex, they have this stuff. If you look at uh, any random uh, crypto exchange they don't so they they, mm-hmm. they are the opposite they focus on mass retail trying to activate millions of clients and we're trying to activate hundreds of clients but then the biggest of mm-hmm. the biggest so if you look at any headline on the block on on any news page the big names that you see entering the space they all trade uh, on their bit and why because all of them would be traditional guys in a way, a bit like perhaps a bit like me, having a traditional background at the market maker, at the broker, an asset manager, an hedge fund. And finally, some of them are early, some of them are late, but finally they enter the crypto space and then they trade what they know. So they trade options and they trade futures. And that's what keeps our market share incredibly high. We, we have 80% of the open interest of all the options markets combined. That's, that's, that's Binance, OKX, Bybit, all those guys together plus all the DeFi guys together, uh, all of them have 14% uh, percent, and we have 86% of the open interest, which is incredible. And that number stays, uh, stays stable. So that's like the differences between us and the rest. What are the similarities between us and, and or sorry, the differences between us and uh, those other markets is their, their offering is, 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 if you look at the US, the model, the market structure model, and this, this is essentially the same in Europe or Asia, you have a platform, you have a, a clearing layer, you have a custody layer, you have the GCMs, the general clearing members that chip in money to the central counterparty, which 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 protects the overall system. And all of these layers uh, are are essentially us. Um, we we own the full vertical, which means 
the systems are totally different, which means the people involved are totally different. You don't rely on external organizations. You do everything yourself. You don't rely on third-party brokers that, that guarantee trade. So if you trade on any market globally, there's firms like, like Sockgen, uh, Goldman Sachs, Abenemro that guarantee your trades, which makes so mm-hmm. that the platform doesn't have to look at risk or hardly has to look at risk. From our perspective, we have to protect our insurance fund. That's that's our protection layer. So we have to do all of that ourselves. So every order, we check what happens if this order gets executed. What is the impact of this execution on the client's portfolio? And do we permit this order to be executed? And if not, we, mm-hmm. we have to uh, reject it. And all of that stuff, millions of orders, um, has to be happening real time, not post-trade, uh, like many platforms, but before the trade mm-hmm. happens. So that, that, that has a massive impact on, 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 on the trading technology, on, on the infrastructure, uh, the firms, uh, yeah, it's, it's a different space. But in the end, if you take one step back, like a helicopter view, it boils down to mm-hmm. the same. It's, it's, a, it's a matching engine. It's a platform with members. These members trade. And once the trade is done, we take over the risk and make sure that the lifetime of the trade. So an option, we have options up until a year out. So it's not like a spot trade, which is a one-second trade, and then the, the, the spot assets are moved from one account to the other, and then you're done. An options trade has a one-year maximum exposure. So every day, every second something happens, we have to margin you, which means you you earn and you lose, and, and that happens throughout the year. So you need to make sure that if you buy this option, that regardless whether your trading counterpart still exists, the platform is able to manage and margin these trades. And that's what we do. And that's, that's essentially the commitment we give. Trade on Deribit, you have liquidity now, you have liquidity tomorrow, but oh, so you have liquidity a year from now. So that kind of lays out the the value proposition and I guess why you've seen uh, the growth and have been able to maintain your market share at the level that it is. Maybe we can take a look at what's exactly happening in options and, and the extent to which they maybe express different um, different things about what's happening in, in crypto. When we rewind the clock back to the summer, right, there was this phenomenon of, uh, you know, yield, uh, the hunt and search for yield among many different market participants in, in the w- with a sanguine uh, backdrop of, of crypto, low volumes, low vol, and that sort of pressure kept vol capped um, and, and almost sort of like a almost fulfilling, self-fulfilling prophecy in a sense. That kind of blew up at the end of the summer. What is sort of um, the activity shaping options markets right now? There's a, there's a few storylines. Um, so so since this summer with low volatility, uh, at some point the ETF momentum started uh, getting uh, traction. So what you mm-hmm. see is that for us, uh, November and December were amazing volume months because people got excited about the potential of the ETF. Uh, any moment in crypto history uh, is paired with volatility. So if you look at our peak activity levels, those are three arrows implosion, a Luna implosion. FTX, it's always implosion, sadly, but the FTX uh, carnage. Uh, all those moments, it's either an opportunity for people to uh, to benefit. So if, if you buy put options and the market crashes, you make money. Or to protect mm-hmm. from crashes, you have a portfolio, you, you know that there's a big risk, something might happen, you want to protect yourself. Uh, those kind of moments trigger people to trade options because volatility explodes. There's there's a macro news line 
that, that, that's creating panic, and that's when people trade. In this case, it's not panic, but it's opportunity. So the ETF is coming, uh, or was uh, almost certain to come, and then it got postponed and rejected, but there was this continuous news flow about uh, some, 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 some people saying one thing and others the other. Is it a buy the rumor, sell the news story, or is it actually still starting? Everyone had different views. Uh, the block was full of it, so all those views result in positioning. Uh, so that's what we saw in November, December, January, amazing volume months because people uh, either position ahead of the launch, but once it's launched, you saw the GBTC unwind, which which terrified people. You saw a big unwinding. Yeah, so then people think, oh, it's, 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 it, there's, there's billions and billions coming to the market. Uh, I need to protect my portfolio, resulting in options trading. So we saw an amazing surge in activity. And what you see now is the same thing happening for ETH. So ETH, ETF is coming somewhere most oh, likely. Oh, interesting. So you see the same positioning again. If you if you look at SKU, so SKU is a, essentially the mm-hmm. difference in pricing between calls and puts. So in theory, it should be approximately the same. If they're unbalanced, it means that, that one storyline is stronger than the other. Um, you measure this in implied volatility, but in essence, it means that either calls are more expensive or puts are more expensive. So what you see now is that over time, so after uh, the halving, that's like a key BTC moment, and after approximately the ETF deadline for ETH, you see uh, people are positioning for the upside again for uh, both coins because they, they expect uh, a lot of things to happen. So after April, so the June expiry um, is skewed towards the upside, uh, which you can see in trading today. If you look at today, you, it's, these expectations are different. So, so what you see is the, the halving, uh, the ETF, and the ETH um, impact. And of course, the correlation. If BTC goes up a lot, uh, people expect this ETH, ETH to be dragged along as well. So this is what you see in current trading activity, and that's why we see uh, quite nice volume increases because people position for that kind of stuff and they roll and they. It's, uh, if if you think the market will move uh, towards April, you might be also trading the March expiry because the vol will also uh, will also change towards the halving, not exactly at the moment of the halving, it's a trend going forward. So there's lots of plays out there um, and people selling all kinds of strategies. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, so the, a, a call and a put is a simple way of approaching things, but there's there's lots of complex or more complex vol strategies. So if you expect volatility to move, um, there's lots of things you can do. And that's what people, uh, that's why people come to us. So. We see momentum is building for the longer dated expiries, and uh, that's driven by macro sentiment. And the moment you refer to last summer, all of those storylines didn't exist. There was nothing. Um, so it was a bit of full selling. So people simply generate yield. Every week or every month, they do the same. They sell options, mm-hmm. get what they think is free money, uh, and do it again and again and again, up until the market starts moving, and then you lose. But that's what happened then. So little activity Low, relatively low volumes, and now you see the opposite. Because there's more things for them to sort of um, position for. You have these two major events uh, in the having and in, or the having and in the potential ETH approval. What type of new strategies are you seeing coming online? How are traders positioning for these events, and are they doing anything um, unusual relative to the past? No, it's all the same. 
and it's it's mm-hmm. not it's not boring, but that's what that's the way it should be done. So if you look on, you mentioned Nvidia. I haven't looked at the numbers, but I, I assume that you will see the same in positioning towards uh, the news announcement. People, because of the AI, expect uh, amazing bullish momentum, so they will position themselves in a certain way, and that's exactly what they do. In, in India with the Nifty, Kospi in Korea yeah. and, and all those key derivatives markets, people trade like this. And, and crypto is nothing different. In, in essence, we call ourselves a crypto platform, but in, in essence, we're just a derivatives platform where the underlying mm-hmm. happens to be crypto, but we might as well just trade gold derivatives or whatever. It's, in, it's all the same. People use options. People use futures to position for macro events. Yeah, ex- exactly. So instead of, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have earnings, so you don't have traders piling in ahead of a potential heated earnings thinking that it's going to pop to x or whatever but you do have these these different types of events and so i guess similar to how i think we're seeing some nvidia uh bulls calling for like you know 1300 rand double where shares are trading now um you might have people expressing a view in the crypto market that bitcoin will go to x uh and these After things the we see every day, right? So there's there's people saying mm-hmm. that the, the top will be reached in March, uh, and a new high will be hundred thousand by whatever September. These and it's investment banks nowadays uh, also mentioning this kind of stuff is no longer uh, the crypto news portals. It's, it's <laughs> serious institutions that claim the same stuff. And you have you have BlackRock allocating money, and this ETF opens doors. So there will be different trading strategies in terms of sizing because. If you look at any market, spot is step one. So people buy whatever, NVIDIA shares, uh, yeah. buy Bitcoin spot. Step And spot, if, for me, is equal to the ETF. The one is, is slightly easier than the other for some, but in the end, you buy simple exposure to some underlying asset. Step two is more efficient capital uh, exposure, and that's derivatives in one way or another. So that's options, that's future. So if you look at the size that's entering now with all these reports about the millions and millions of dollars that are entering the ETF every day, tomorrow, and not literally tomorrow, but but soon, that they will start using options or futures to position themselves. And some of them will do this in the US, which is out of our reach, and others will do it globally, which is within our reach. Understood. And so are traders wagering on an explosive move coming out of the happening? Yeah. So after April, that's what you see. So the high strikes, yeah. you see positioning in the in the in the high strikes for June. At at what? Up until a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. So the difference uh, uh, 70, mm-hmm. 80, 90, 100. So what sort of developments do you see shaping options over the next year, right? You have these major events. We just came out of a major event. Um Obviously, options are one tool, but there's probably various others that have not found their way to crypto. Um, you know, maybe things like variant swaps or, or uh, you know, other types of products. You know, maybe a um, there hasn't been a lot of trading of actual vol um, or volatility funds. How do you see things like that coming into the market? What needs to be what are the prerequisites in terms of uh, how maybe robust or large the existing um, derivatives markets need to be? I think there's two trends. One is just exchanges overall. So after FTX, we all know all the, the, the dramas that happened, but the need, especially for third-party money managers in a way, if, if you allocate your money to whoever, 
you want to make sure that this person does their homework. So this person, mm. any asset manager, hedge fund, etc., that's not proprietary money but has received from someone, will check the exchange they trade on for all these things, massive due diligence forms. And in essence, that means all the platforms have to step up. So if you look at mm. one year ago versus where we are today, we started, and some of the other platforms did the same, with proof reserves. We have it every day. We show the, the, the assets, the liabilities, and that's one checkbox. Last October, we got ISO certification. So that's a big uh, security milestone. Uh, last uh, two weeks ago, early February, we got SOC 2 certification. Again, uh, uh, security certification. Um, we're finalizing audited financials and we're, I'm in Dubai uh, in order to get the license. So we have received the spot license. It's not operational yet, but we've received the permission and we are about, hopefully, about to receive the derivatives license. Uh, which is like our final checkbox to safeguard current liquidity. So people, the big firms, they simply want to see that we have these checks in place, uh, but also to safeguard future liquidity. There's brokers waiting on the sidelines and, and managers that as soon as we can show uh, the license checkbox, we'll start trading because they like our product self, but their internal risk, compliance, audit, whatever, some committee says you can't trade in regulated markets. What are they What are they doing now? Oh. Are they, are they just not trading or are they trading uh, somewhere else? They don't trade. Not, not all, some of them trade. So I, I spoke to a large client yesterday. I mentioned, look, we have SOC 2. And this client uh, responded uh, completely amazed because that meant another checkbox, which meant that they can allocate a higher number to Deribit than today. Mm. So these checkboxes, let's say for, for some firm might allocate $10 million to us. But if you have a few of these boxes, it might be $50 million. And that's what we're doing. We're safeguarding Got people it. like that to actually continue to trade or start trading on the platform. So that's one thing for us. But I think for the industry, and that's what you meant, what's going to happen next, we're trying to build what we call Devil. That's our VIX-style uh, product. Uh, it's, it's volatility futures. It's proven difficult because volatility is not what it used to be. So it's relatively high uh, compared to, to whatever traditional markets, but it's for crypto, it's it's still low. It's at 50, 60 at the moment. When, but in the earlier days, and not even long ago, but let's say 19, 20, 21, it was always over 100. So we're like half of that now. So it's, it's, it's significantly lower. It's more professional and it's more perhaps safe or less uh, volatile than it was before. So that's a tricky product. Um, what we're trying out in March is, uh, is altcoin options. So we're launching Solana, Matic, and XRP. What is it? What is it? Altcoin. 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 Got it. Uh, or, or linear options. USDC-based options. So options on Solana, on, on Matic, on XRP. Um, that won't be a massive success on day one. But if you look at any traditional exchange, it's always the flagship product is index options. And then next to that, they have the index constituents. So if you... If you sort of compare that to uh, the crypto space, you have BTC and ETH as the flagship products. And then like alt season, at some point, uh, people start trading alts again. And these alts always have storylines. There's a big event, there's a mainnet launch, there's whatever, something happened, a court case. And these are like perfect moments to use options. So we expect some, some peak uh, volume uh, moments and then perhaps some dull moment in between. But we'll launch with three classes and then we'll gradually expand, hopefully uh, covering more. So for us, the product self-expansion will be um, linear altcoin options and we'll launch a cross-collateral. So in order to have the most efficient um, collateral, you should be able to trade altcoin options using BTC 
or trade ETH options using BTC. And that efficient model where we where we took all your assets and piled them in one big pile of, of, of valuable assets. And some of them we might need to haircut and some of them might offset each other. So if you have Solana, you might be able to write covered goals. So use your Solana underlying uh, as margin for uh, your options positions. All of that stuff is what we're launching as well in March. So th- th- that's like a key pillar for us in generating margin efficiency. And we have around 3.6 billion in assets at the moment, 3.7. We expect the assets to be reduced, which might be contrary to what you expect, but that's because of margin efficiency. You don't need this much assets anymore. You can trade the same with less assets. So it frees up capital for clients, which is of course an amazing um, amazing outcome, which is what everyone is seeking. Yeah, capital efficiency is super important. Um, what needs to be in place for you to be able to launch options on a given altcoin um is there is there a market cap is it is it volumes is i'm sure there's a legitimacy aspect but um like for instance like what what's stopping you from launching solana options uh next week versus maybe a quarter or two quarters out so first of all Technical. So what we currently have, our BTC shelf is what we call inverse options. So you deposit uh, BTC to trade BTC derivatives. And that sounds like normal. Um, but if you find replace BTC with, let's say, Tesla, it's not so normal. If you buy Tesla options, you pay in mm-hmm. dollars. You don't pay in Tesla. So mm-hmm. that that's the strange thing about our product shelf. You pay in the same currency as the underlying. So what needs to happen mm. in order for us to, to launch any other option? We don't want uh, this inverse style product for a, a wider range of linear options. We want simplicity because anyone that's, that is used to trading traditional markets understands an option is priced in dollars. So you just pay dollars, your price and margin in dollars. So that's what we've built. So that takes time. So this is simply dev efforts. Then step two is safeguarding liquidity. So as I mentioned in the beginning, you trade today and it might Mm -hmm. be, let's say, a month outstanding position. You want to make sure that during this month, you can always sell the product. So you don't have to wait until expiry. You can, but Mm -hmm. it's not a requirement. You can also sell two weeks from now. If the price rallied and you think this is a nice moment to sell, there's nothing stopping you from selling except liquidity. So we need to safeguard liquidity. We need to have market maker commitments, multiple for seven days a week, including the Sunday afternoon when no one is uh, that keen to trade, <laughs> in order for them to trade. And they have to quote, even if there's no one trading. And that's uh, that needs to be safeguarded. And that makes it harder. I mean, how, 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 how much of a, to what extent does the 24-7 hour nature of crypto increase the threshold for um, how much liquidity and how much commitments from market makers you need. Tremendous. Yeah. Because you can imagine BTC options is, 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 is liquid. People are always trading because there's some part of the world that's open. But if you have a tiny coin, how many people are trading options on a tiny coin? Not that many. If I ask you to mm-hmm. quote all day long for this tiny coin, you wouldn't be interested. You're going to lose so much money as the market maker. Yeah, so I have to pay you. So we have an incentive program to pay you to quote, uh, to compensate you from your, essentially your hours lost, in, in, far away from your family. You have to sit behind your computer <laughs> to quote. No one likes that. So that's the trade-off. <laughs> so how many coins can you do? 
as many as um, as the market makers are comfortable in. And of course, your first comment, we have to look at volume market cap. We're not launching something tiny because it doesn't justify the effort. So you need you need a certain size of the market, a certain uh, interest level. So we only would be looking at the top coins. And also what, what people typically forget is the risk for market makers for some uh, unexpected things to happen. There's always unexpected things for coins. But for smaller things, especially in crypto, you have to be mindful for insider trading and all of that stuff. Are these coins cautious in, in how they announce information, etc.? So that's what we look at. We want we want the proper names, high volume, market maker commitments, and we start with three, and then we'll see. And but we will never have a hundred uh, options. It might be ten, perhaps twenty, but that's about it. Yeah, that makes sense. And so it, it's it's interesting. So. I wonder in in the conversations that you're having with some of these firms that could be potential clients, I wonder I wonder the extent to which they maybe will not buy a certain uh, put on a certain spot position in size because of the lack of maybe certain options or other derivatives in a given name. Like I wonder if c- certain firms maybe would be more willing to put on more risk with Solana if there were options in that coin. So maybe I'm Frank Hedge Fund. Uh, I have a $10 million spot position. Maybe I'm doing some hedging in futures, but maybe I would put on an even larger position if I had if I had options in that name. Yeah, I can imagine. It's difficult to quantify, yeah. but normally anyone can trade spot. So if you have your fund or your whatever vehicle you have, your description of what is permitted, it would typically state spot because that's the lowest risk uh, asset class or instrument class. So you would be permitted, but only a subset of those funds would be permitted to trade derivatives. And yes, some of these firms will only go for the markets which have a certain liquidity and have certain names. So yes, having more access to different type of products will uh, enable some people to trade more, but how many and where they're from is difficult to say. Are you seeing the emergence of sort of, I mean, what we're seeing in, uh, and I alluded to it earlier, these sort of derivative interest funds, um, maybe firms that are dedicated to trading derivatives specifically emerge within crypto? I think you see more yield focus than before. Um, Mm -hmm. Yields, because of especially U.S. markets yield. So if you have uh, cash in the bank, it generates, let's say, 5%. So people are trying to replicate the same in crypto and, and, and start focusing on, on yielding products again. So if you look at the basis, so the basis is the, the difference between the futures price and the spot price. The basis is now 12, 13, 14% annualized, which is really nice because before it was uh, around five. So before mm-hmm. October and this ETF rally started, uh, the basis was really small. So the basis indicates essentially the bullishness of the market. People expect at the expiry, three, six, nine, 12 months from now, the market to trade annualized uh, 15% higher than where we are today. That means that spot has to follow at some point as well. So the basis is traded, which generates yield. But there's also plenty of discussions about uh, yielding stable coins. Um, there's there, there's, there's uh, tokenized treasuries. Everyone, and especially if you look at the traditional space, which is massive, People that mm-hmm. trade on any of those traditional markets have to put collateral to trade derivatives. That collateral is typically not just dollars. Those are treasuries, money market funds, stuff that yields. 
And if that yields 5% and they, they're putting uh, money in, in, in USDC, USDT, it generates zero. So they're looking for replacements. So there's plenty of new initiatives supported by big names um, where, where uh, stuff yields. Um, so we're looking at uh, our partners. Uh, we, we've partnered with multiple custodians, how we can offer um, this kind of stuff in the crypto space as well. Because if we, and not only us, but if we and some others can support uh, treasuries and money market funds as collateral, it unlocks an, an amazing opportunity for these coins because it's no longer just a coin that, that you can buy for yield, but it's a coin that you can buy for yield and use for collateral. Super interesting point. I mean, it just speaks to uh, we ha- <laughs> we had um, the uh, an ETF issuer on the show yesterday, and we were or two days ago, and we were just joking about how weird some of this stuff's going to get. Like it's it's going to get pretty if it continues in the direction that it's going. There's going to be a lot of interesting esoteric products, right? Like built on top of some of this stuff. Um, a lot of which we see in in traditional um, finance. It brings me back to the DeFi boom of, uh, I guess it was 2020 or 2019 DeFi summer, where there were a few projects that launched at the time that were building like, you know, decentralized credit default swaps and stuff like that. Um, I think they were probably too early, given that some of those esoteric products don't even exist in centralized uh, crypto. I think an easier step might be just structured products. So mm-hmm. if you look at, uh, let's say, Switzerland, if you look at Asia, Singapore, Hong Kong, those private banks, uh, they issue a crazy load of structured products for all kinds of flavors and directions and, mm-hmm. and knockout products and, 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 and you name it, there's, there's, there's so much choice. Um, I think being licensed and, and having the option itself, these products typically have like a bond, some zero coupon bond plus an option. Uh, in one way or uh, form or another. Uh, we have those options. We become accessible if these firms start uh, using crypto as, 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 as building block for their products. And then you might have all of these products you're referring to slightly different, but it's, it's essentially just a packaged product. You can issue them on the fly. And I think that all of that stuff is still to happen. So there's tiny steps from small firms entering now. There are structured products being built. But if you look at the size of the, the, the space, also in the U.S. actually, uh, mm-hmm. the U.S., Europe, Switzerland, and Asia, it's, it's a massive space, which is currently essentially untouched. Well, let's talk about, we can maybe uh, end on that point. What does uh, global expansion look like for Deribit? And um, I know you kind of operate in, in, in Asia mostly. You're... I think, are you headquartered or just registered in, in Dubai? I can't remember. We're, we're operating from Panama at the moment. And once the license is granted, we'll port over the full business. Uh, so 100%, not a regional thing, but we'll port over 100% of the business to Dubai. And we operate uh, what we call a hub and spoke model, where Dubai is the hub. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest of the world are the spokes. And we intend to mm-hmm. get regulated in all the key uh, regions of the world, starting with MIFID. Uh, so we want to get a Mifid broker, we want to get a Brazilian broker, and so on and so on, mm-hmm. all routing to the same hub. So global expansion for us means two things. One is get regulated, uh, because in order to attract new business, but also safeguard uh, our current business, we need, uh, we need to get these uh, stems of approval in the various regions. Uh, regulators are getting stricter and stricter, and we want to abide mm-hmm. by all those standards. That's why we've got the ISO certification, SOC 2, we, we want to get all these checkboxes in place, but also 
and uh, perhaps equally important, we operate a reverse solicitation model to us. We don't advertise. You don't see us on race cars, etc. People come to us and we don't <laughs> come to them. What we intend to do once we're properly licensed globally, we can start advertising. So we can boost uh, overall activity levels by by, by being uh, more active in the marketing space than we are today. So for us, it's two key pillars for future growth. But first, we have to get the base operational, so move the move the, the entire space to Dubai. Understood. And yeah, Dubai's it's a nice place. I love it. I enjoyed my, my visit there. Um, it was hot and I was very jet lagged, but I survived. I survived. It's uh, so I haven't seen the the, the true summer yet. Uh, that's like forty five degrees. Forty five Celsius. Jeez. Yeah, but so we we will be headquartered here, so we will be uh, operational from Dubai. But of course, our servers are uh, in London, uh, just outside of London. We operate twenty four seven, so it, it doesn't really matter uh, where I am or whoever is. It's uh, the system keeps on running. That's where the matching engine is. Got to keep that matching engine safe. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> Luke Stryers, thanks so much for joining the program. You're welcome. See you soon in Dubai, perhaps. I hope so. Maybe for token. We shall see. Yes, April. We'll invite you. April. It won't be too bad in April. Maybe like 37 degrees Celsius. It's April's like today. It's nice. Okay, good. All right, perfect. I'll see you there. Take care. Thanks. <laughs> and the scoop will be back for you with another great guest. Have an awesome day. Thank mm-hmm. you.